because you know I say a photographer is only as good as their last picture and if you've got that in the back of your mind all your time you're only going to be pushing yourself to to actually take the best picture you possibly can um and you're right there is a mentality of excellence in Formula One everyone that has got a longevity in Formula One are exceptionally good at what they do Welcome to the Viewfinders Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Graham Dargy, a professional photographer based in the Silver City with the Golden Sands, Aberdeen in Scotland. Well, one thing I really wanted to do when I started the podcast was I wanted to talk to a completely different kind of photographer from one episode to the next. Last week, we had laid-back landscape photographer Mark Pickering, and this week, we head to the high-speed world of Formula One with my guest, Glenn Dunbar. I'll introduce Glenn in a minute, but first, just a quick check-in. How's your week been? My week is okay. Uh, No photography the last few days, but just really busy with the hustle of running a business, you know, sending out quotes, trying to organize shoots, um, doing my tax return at the last possible minute, uh, editing podcasts, and launching my next Viewfinders Live event with food and advertising photographer, Scott Shuthinio. Uh, That's coming up on the 21st of February 2022. It's a Zoom event where Scott will give an insight into his work, go behind the scenes of some of his amazing photographs, as well as talking about the business side of commercial photography, and you can ask him anything in the live Q&A. Scott is amazing. I hope you can make it for this one. You can find full details and tickets at the Viewfinders website. There's a link in the show notes, and I hope to see you there. Okay. I'm on Instagram. I'd love to connect with you there. So find me at Graham Dargy uh, and drop me a DM. Let me know where you are in the world and if you've been enjoying this show and let me know if there's any photographers you think I should interview. Um, I'd love to hear from you. So do connect with me over on Instagram. Just want to give a shout out to our sponsor, MPB. MPB is the world's largest online platform for buying, selling and trading used camera gear. MPB makes it easy to sell your unwanted gear and anything you buy comes with a six month warranty. There's a link in the show notes where you can get a valuation for your kit. Thanks to MPB for sponsoring the show. Okay, on to this week's episode. My guest is Formula One photographer, Glenn Dunbar. Glenn has had a long career in motorsport and he was the official photographer for the Aston Martin Formula One team when we spoke back in 2021. Glenn also has a really interesting backstory. You'll hear about it in the episode, but let's just say F1 is in his DNA. We talk about how Glenn cut his teeth shooting karting and how he worked his way up through the different motorsport formulas until he got his break in F1 with Williams. We talk about the ins and outs of the world of F1, about working with the world's best drivers, uh, camera technique, of course, and about some of the amazing experiences Glenn's had along the way. So go wash the dishes, walk the dog, get in the car, or whatever it is you do when you're listening to podcasts. It's the dishes for me. And enjoy my conversation with Glenn Dunbar. Glenn Dunbar, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Really good. I'm really looking forward to this chat. From my point of view as a working assignment photographer, uh, I'm really interested in how you work with the Formula One team, the expectation that's on you, what you have to produce. Um, those are the kind of inner workings that I'm I'm really interested to find out 
and we'll come back to that later. But let's go back. Were you an F1 fan growing up? I was, I was. Um, motorsport has always been in my family. Um, the first major step um, for me was my father. Um, he was a photographer, Formula One photographer. He uh-huh. finished before I got started, but definitely got the inspiration from, from him. And also on my mother's side of the family, um, she used to be uh, Bruce McLaren, who is the, the founder of McLaren Formula One team, mm-hmm. used to be his secretary um, back in the day. Oh, wow. Um, and and um, sadly, she was actually on the day um, that he died. He, she was working for, for McLaren back then. So her history in, in Formula One and motorsports is, is quite fast. And, and so is my father's as well. So Formula One used to always be on in the house. I always used to watch it from an early age of, I think I can remember starting watching F1 when I was about five or six, just because mm-hmm. daddy was out there at the races. It's changed mm-hmm. a lot since then. Um, but that was, yeah, the, the major thing, the major love for, for motorsport. Mm-hmm. No football in my house, in the household. So never, never caught them <laughs> to that. It was just, it was just motorsport, Formula One, watching, watching daddy, watching dad at the, at yeah. the races, trying to spot him on camera. Um, yeah. Kind of start to things. And so for most of us, Formula One is kind of exotic and uh, and untouchable. For you, it must have been the opposite of that. It must have been like very familiar. Um, yeah, I had a familiarity about it from just watching it as a kid, I suppose. From actually going to races, uh, that was something my dad never never did with with us. Um, mm-hmm. Me and my sister, my mum, we never actually went to a race when he was working there. Um, mm-hmm. The first time I think I saw an F one car in in the flesh. Uh, would have been um, not at a track. Uh, but what my father used to do would take me down to the photography that was needed for the car launches at the beginning of the year. So when he was working for Williams and McLaren and, and Rothmans and Tyrrell, I would come along um, with him. I would have been four or five. Um, and just an opportunity to see an F1 car, more of a controlled environment as well. And I'd probably end up finishing that night off uh, asleep um, in the back of the car because um, mm-hmm. these shoots tend to be the day before the launch and would off, or often go on to sort of three, four in the morning. But that was the earliest sort of interaction with an F1 car and making it more more touchable in that way. So that was really behind closed doors, I suppose. So, mm-hmm. yes, he said it was it was sort of a, a touchable asset back then, but not as in going to all the races with my dad yeah. and experiencing it that way. Um, the first race I ever went to, I was a fully grown man. I was probably 20 three or 24 with with LAT photographic and so your dad worked for Williams through the sort of 80s that kind of era so my dad um started working in Formula One um in the I don't know um I always always forget the years uh, but he started in the I think in the early 70s uh, for an agency mm-hmm. um, ironically the same agency that I used to work for mm-hmm. um and he started up his own agency um in 1984 called Zoom Photographic Mm-hmm. Um, and had quite a few of the um, F1 contracts. Um, McLaren was a long-running contract for him. Uh, Tyrrell um, as well, um, and other bits and pieces along the way. Um, he was also the official photographer for Rothmans, hence the Williams link, um, yeah. a major commercial partner back in the day. So he yeah. was always associated with the Williams team in that in that retrospect. Right, and they were they were flying high at, at the Rothmans kind of era, weren't they, Williams? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, hundred percent. They were the team to um, the team to beat back then. It was the Williams, sort of Williams McLaren 
um, era of, of battling on track mm-hmm. um, before these new boys like uh, Red Bull and, and Mercedes came about or way before yeah. these boys came about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they were the, the two like formidable teams back then battling for the championships. And so was your mum with McLaren at some point and your dad was with Williams at the same time? Were they sort of having a rivalry there? <laughs> no, no, they never actually overlapped. Um, after my, because Bruce McLaren's death was quite a long time ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that happened, I believe my mum wanted to sort of move away from motorsport. She, okay. um, you know, Bruce McLaren was, a, was um, an amazing man. And I think his death um, affected a lot of people. So, and I think my mother was one of those people and, and she moved away from Formula One and actually worked mm-hmm. for, um, I think it was Gulf Oils, which also has got a link back to motorsport as well. Um, so mm-hmm. they, they never actually worked knowingly at the track at the same time. I think there may have been some crossover there, but they, they met um, outside of Formula One actually. Um, okay. But just shared this, this past in, in Formula One. So was it, given your dad's path, was it inevitable that you would follow in those footsteps? Did you always kind of look up to him in that way? You wanted to do that? Or did photography come to you in a different way? Oh, massively looked up to my father. Um, I think all all boys do, really, mm-hmm. um, unless they haven't got a very nice father. Luckily, my father was a very nice, very nice guy. So massively looked up to him. Um, was in awe of Formula One, was in awe of the travel around the world that he did. I mean, great. Wouldn't it be great to have travelled uh, like the guys would have done back in the early seventies for Formula One? Mm. You know, now with fifty years on, it's very different. But back then, it was mm. the golden era of travel. Um, mm. uh, so, so yeah. And I remember my dad saying to me, "I, I used to work in a bar. I was bar manager. I was doing quite well." Um, <laughs> and um, he turned around and said to me, "Are you actually going to get a proper career in your life or not?" And that was when I thought, "Well, I've always liked photography. I was always." picking up a camera from an early age going down to the cart circuit taking pictures one weekend going back the next weekend and selling them I'd go up to um, my dad's um, offices with the they had a production studio in there and printers and processors and stuff and I'd go and take pictures on film of um, guys racing at the local cart circuit mm-hmm. go up there get them all printed up nice sort of 10 by 8s come back um, they had a race series there that was fortnightly so came back uh, the following week and, and would, would sell them which was a great bit of added sort of money in your back pocket that was when I was about 16, 17 mm-hmm. um, and then yeah when I was about 18, 19 was when my dad said to me are you actually going to get a proper job um, and that's when I thought well okay what shall I do what can I do well I do love photography um, what my dad did was amazing so that's that's push it in that direction and mm-hmm. things just seem to I don't know just just happen and I mean, I can take you through my career path. I'm sure that's a later question you got for me. But yeah, I mean, obviously my father, I think, was a very big, not push, but, you know, um, a big reason why I'm I'm now a Formula One photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what else would you want to do? I, I take pictures of racing cars for a living. It's yeah. I haven't grown up yet, which is great. No, it's, yeah, unless you were racing the cars, I think you've got the, the next best job. So, um, very true. Yeah. so. <laughs> Um, okay, that, just to go back slightly to the karting, that is a great education for you, shooting film and with that nice kind of controlled, pretty controlled environment there. I mean, what did you, you must have taken a lot away from that spell. Could you talk a little bit about how much you learned shooting that way? I think when it comes to motorsport, shooting that way, shooting on film, it was shooting on negative, so you have that leeway, um, mm-hmm. and, egg. 
but what it kind of taught me really was some good basic principles of photography and, and action photography, you know, the basic principles of being able to get a, a pan shot and a head on shot. Um, a lot of people kind of decide to skip past that point if they want to be a motorsport photographer and try and go too artistic, too creative, and mm-hmm. doesn't work. You got to know, you got to know the basics. You got to learn to walk before you can run. Um, mm-hmm. Also, learn good sort of um, people skills going up to these these guys um, afterwards or the next next week and trying to sell what I shot, you know, I had a good relationship with the cart track as well. Um, so that put me in, in good stead again, just communication and how to talk to people and how to sell what you produce, which is mm-hmm. a key factor in making a living out of photography. So learned the very basic steps of that really. Um, mm-hmm. fortunately I had a, a, a lot in my favor. Obviously I didn't have to buy the camera. I was using, I think in EOS five back then. Mm-hmm. I was using some of my dad's old lenses and then I could go up to London and I could go and process the film and, and, you know, practice processing and practice those, those skills that you need to learn in a darkroom. So in that retrospect, very fortunate on the learning curve wasn't, you know, hideously expensive. It was just something mm-hmm. that I could, could do freely looking back at it from now back then. Yeah. I was definitely very fortunate in that scenario and situation to be able to do that. Yeah. And so did your dad mentor you up as well, photography wise? Oh yeah, no, um, and still, still does to a certain, certain degree. <laughs> you know, I if a photographer, I'm sure you're the same. You learn every time you go out and shoot. You yeah. learn, you learn, you learn. Any photographer that never, that says they don't, I think they're a liar or they're unsure about their own skill set. Every time I go and shoot, every time I go to an F1 circuit, I refine um, my skill set. You just learn a little bit more each time. Um, and yeah, the father was obviously a very, very great help. He would look at the pictures. He would criticize the pictures. He would point out where I was going right and where I was going wrong. So no, very, very important. Mm-hmm. I can imagine you still must have some great chats about your photography, um, with right. your dad even now, but so where did you go from there from, uh, when your dad said, okay, you're going to, what you're going to do. And you thought, well, photography, what was the route forward from, from there to where you are today? Uh, so the route forward, um, I can't actually remember the, the sort of why I went and contacted these people. I think maybe maybe it's an advert in the back of um, BJP magazine, British Journal mm-hmm. of magazine. And it was an advert for, um, obviously, from my father and, and doing and having that on the doorstep, I learned basic <laughs> principles of um, processing and lab work and developing film. Um, and I think I think it was an advert in BJP for a, um, a darkroom assistant for an mm-hmm. uh, agency called Action Plus, based just up near Tower Bridge, near Bermondsey. Um, and I had yeah, a little bit of experience, I had my karting stuff. They were looking for someone that was young, inexperienced, so they could pay them peanuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was looking to get experience. Um, so, yeah, managed to, to get this job up there at this little photographic agency um who did all sorts of sports from you know darts to synchronized swimming to golf to a bit of formula one to super bikes mm-hmm. moto gp um and uh, some of the, the the photographers that i met there um are still going strong now um and started there in the dark room i i, I pushed um a lot to get out to events and with them i i covered the grand national I covered mm. the World Darts Championship. I did a bit of Formula One testing at Silverstone. Um, I did a few football games, which I didn't enjoy. Um, and yeah, just sort of all sorts of different sports. Um, 
and that then sort of lasted for about 18 months until a position um, opened up or was required at LAT Photographic, which is now Motorsport Images. And LAT Photographic was the agency my dad used to work for back in the mid seventies. And he was actually the chief photographer there. Um, but then in the early eighties, he went and did his own thing. Um, so ironically sort of went to where he used to work, um, got a job there as a junior E6 technician. So Action Plus, they had an E6 color transparency line um, at LAT Images, they needed a junior for E6 processing. It's not many people that are junior E6 processors or that has, have a, an idea of how one of these machines works. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that was the senior lab technician there. They just wanted the junior. Um, got that job. Um, went in. You know, I was told by, um, what was his name? A guy called Mike Weston. So Mike Weston, if you're, if you're watching this. Um, and he said to me, I went there with my portfolio of prints and everything else and knowing what the job was 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 basically the production guy and he said to me oh just just bearing in mind this is a production role you, you'll never you'll never go out and take photos or become a photographer for us so, okay fine mm. but it's the foot in the door it's mm. the bottom rung of the ladder once your foot in that once your foot is in that door mm -hmm. i suppose it's then up to you to to push it and push mm -hmm. the boundaries um and that's what I did. I mean, my main my main role there um, was post Grand Prix, when the films were to come back from the Formula One races. I'd be the guy processing the film, processing the um, E6 into color transparencies. That was amazing because I was seeing these fantastic images yeah. before the photographers did, mm -hmm. um, and then you know you get one of the guys come into you and go, oh, God, this 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 roll of film here, yeah, this this one I've got the shunt. This is the film with the shunt on. Christ mm -hmm. the then, you know, because E6 lines do muck up. They can crash. Mm -hmm. And literally when they crash, it's not like recessing the computer for people that don't know. When they crash, you lose, you know, two racks of film, so 12 films into the bottom of the death tank. You know, mm -hmm. so there's pressure. Things do happen. Things do go mm -hmm. Fortunately, nothing like that happened to me with the F1 film. We had a few few scary moments, but managed to um, sort that out. But it was lovely to see all this imagery um, come back and, Mm -hmm. yeah at that point it's like well this is yeah definitely what what i need to do what i want to mm -hmm. do um from there i started putting my hand up to go out to do british formula three rounds touring car rounds gt rounds any national motorsport i could get my hands on doing okay. i would ask to go and do so the weekends were pretty non-existent for me i'd be out busy working if i, if I was working at thruxton i'd come back in a hurry on sunday night after the race hopefully beat the f1 guys back so i can process my film first for the magazines mm -hmm. if not i'd have to process their films first obviously they took priority and i'll be up there to the wee wee hours of the morning processing my former three films and getting a selection done for autosport and motorsport news um, and then from there, my, my career just, just grew through the agency. Um, thankfully they, they saw something in me that thought I'd make a good photographer. Um, and with the help of, of the boss there, a guy called Stephen T, um, sort of pushed through to do, um, GP2 championship in 2005, the first year of GP2. Then after that, I picked up the, the role of being William's official photographer. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was all contracts held by LAT. Um, I remember boss Stephen T coming saying to me um, at the end of 05 that the um, uh, the freelancer they had covering the uh, the Williams photography was um, uh, annoying him, and we preferred to make sure it was all in house. And he mm -hmm. said, he said, Glenn, would you like to do the whole season 
um, travel to all the races and be the official photographer for Williams Formula One team. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is this is great. And then then from there, it's just learning the skill set and and yeah. practicing, practicing when you're out there. And there's nothing like shooting every other weekend for you to mm -hmm. actually hone your skills and um, and become and become good at what you do. That's for sure. So that was around the year. So that was like 2006. 2006. Okay, so. I just from when you were going through that, I, I just was thrown back to the other guests I've had who've come up a sort of press or photojournalism route and the education, you know, starting in the darkroom, processing other people's stuff, mm -hmm. to getting the smaller assignments to just working your way up through the different levels of work that you've done. I'm always envious of people like Jim Richardson, I spoke to as a National Geographic guy, and similar story. Tim Clayton, who's a, a really um, top sports guy as well, World uh, Press Photo of the Year winner, mm -hmm. similar story, um, darkroom technician, all the way to the top of the game. And I'm, I always just envy the amount that you must have learned on that journey. Um, and then, like you even said, but now you get to Williams and now you've, you're actually not at the summit, you're at another beginning, right? So oh, yeah, yeah, that must have been pretty daunting to now. You're, you're obviously are like, yeah, I'm going to take the job, but then... Was there a moment after that when you were like, oh, oh dear? Lots you know? of moments. Lots of moments. <laughs> um, I think as a photographer, you learn on your feet. You take assignments. Um, I'm now freelance. Um, you take assignments. You know, even if you're not 100% sure, you say to the client, yeah, of course I can do that. Yeah. And if you don't, you never get anywhere and you never learn. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, and I started at Williams in 2006. You know, I was just at base camp then you know mm -hmm. i've made it to base camp now i've got to climb the rest of everest to try and you know mm -hmm. carve out a good career because they wouldn't be adverse to letting you go if you weren't doing the job and you weren't doing the job well and you weren't producing the photos that were needed by the clients mm -hmm. and rightly so because they just want to produce good imagery and, and have strong clients and, and a good client base to um earn a living for everyone that's at the agency including the photographers so so yeah uh, it was daunting going to the first Grand Prix, which was Bahrain that year. Um, completely new, didn't know anyone bar the photographers within mm -hmm. LAT. Um, didn't know anyone on the teams. Although I did know Nico Rosberg, that was quite handy, obviously, being one of their drivers. I followed right. him up through Formula 3 and um, Macau and Korea and stuff like that, all those mm -hmm. just Formula 3 races, and through GP2 actually, because he was the, was it? So either him or Heike Kovalaivan. No, I think it's Nico Rosberg that was GP2 champion. So I knew him. I knew him well. And it's crazy to think that the person I knew best in the team was their driver rather mm -hmm. than the PR or marketing or some of the mechanics. I knew the driver best. You're in F1 now. Got a race weekend. There must be stuff going on all around you. It looks like a really busy area obviously in the pit lane and I'm sure behind the scenes there's a lot going on where do you start who are you really working for you're working for the PR have they got in-house marketing PR people what's your kind of role on on a race weekend there okay so the role at the moment is very different due to COVID um currently I'm currently I'm freelance but I still work for the agency LAT um mm -hmm. photographic probably should call it multiple images but to me it's always LAT photographic okay. um I still am contracted to them because they hold the contract with um, Aston Martin Cognizant Formula One team. And I am um, Aston Martin's um, F1 team's official photographer. Mm -hmm. So now when it's COVID, I am 100% theirs. 
Um, I travel with the team. I wear team gear. Um, I stay in the team hotel. I go to and from the circuit with the team. Before COVID, it was very different. I can come on to that. Um, but at the moment, it's 100% team base. I get briefed before the start of the race weekend for anything specific that's needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to know about certain things that's happening. You know, we had a special uh, livery on the car and the motorhome in Monza for the launch of uh, the James Bond movie. I knew about that, you know, a few days beforehand, just to be briefed and just to know what they need out of it and all the rest of it. So a little bit privy to stuff that's about to come out in the news, which is, you know, quite exciting um, to be sort of on the front line of it and to know a li- not a long time before, but just a little bit of time mm-hmm. before. Um, get briefed, worked in. Generally during COVID, there's not that much on it. Maybe. Uh, we need to lean heavily on one of the sponsors, get action imagery for a certain sponsor. Turkey's the next Grand Prix. And there's certain stuff on that brief, which is embargoed. Um, and it's embargoed until the team uses it. So even LAT images aren't allowed to use it before the team uses it. So all my stuff is directly for the team under COVID situations. Um, get the brief at the start of the weekend tick off during the weekend um, the brief of what's needed. If they want to show a sponsor a bit of extra love, get some more imagery um, that shows the sponsor in you know, prominent positions and heavily. Um, and then apart from that is to capture the Grand Prix weekend. Um, a lot of the stuff I do, I have free reign over what I create, mm-hmm. um, bearing in mind the sort of the principles that they want. They need strong imagery for their partners, showing the partner's logo clearly. Mm-hmm. They want nice, creative, artistic imagery for social media content, for editorial content. Um, it's about documenting the weekend and documenting it in the most, you know, engaging way possible. Mm-hmm. Um so that's where I'm at the moment with COVID um, being on top of all of us. Before that, it was very different. Before that, I would travel with a group of photographers from LAT. I would stay with the, the photographers in the same hotels. I would travel to and from the circuit each day and then associate myself with the team and then travel back with the other photographers. So we would be quite separate from the team. But at the Grand Prix weekend, um, I would have close contact with the team. Um, and find out basically everything that I just said would be the same, but I wouldn't be so um, in with the team. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when it was pre-COVID, uh, we wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing everything for the team. There'd be other stuff that would be coming in, um, other clients that we work for. Uh, the boss, Stephen, would say, you know, can you pop here and do a quick shot of so-and-so? We also work for McLaren. Oh, um, Lando's having a presentation awarded to him in the motorhome. I can't make it because I'm doing something with someone else. Can you just pop in there and do a couple of shots? So there'll be more freedom before COVID to go and help out with different accounts. Now it is just basically Aston Martin and, and, mm. and that's everything. How do you find that? For me, the way my brain works, I would like to be with the one team and then I've got one kind of uh, train of thought yeah. going the whole time. How do you find that? Yeah, I, I love it being directly with the team. It's a bit, um, you know, one part of Formula One is going out after a hard day's work, having a nice meal, socializing with different people. We can't do that during COVID. It's all locked down. We've all got our bubbles. Um, That's the only annoying factor of it, really. Um, But being just team-based and just following their briefs is fantastic because you can really sort of knuckle into stuff and really sort of focus on, on, on one element. Whereas before you might get a phone call, can you run off here? Can you run off there? Can you do this? I like to be able to plan my day. I don't like to have little things popping in unexpectedly, um, yeah. which you have to go and do. 
Um, so yeah, I, I like it how it is, but obviously it will change once COVID is is gone and clear, which is obviously for for the best. Yeah, we shall see how long that takes. Yeah, obviously it sounds on the surface that would be a really cool thing to do. That would be such great fun. But from what you've described, you're very, very much at work all weekend and you have to make sure you get the, the job done for the for the client, I'm going to say, or for the team. Um, otherwise, like you say, you're expendable. There's other people who could do it, right? So um, I, I guess you have to stay switched on all the time. It must be really hard work. It is. It is. I mean, during COVID, it's, it, it is slightly easier. There's less elements. There's a whole element of guests which are very sparse at the moment during the restrictions before you know example Abu Dhabi would be a difficult race so a busy race so in 2019 um say the Friday of the Grand Prix um my day would run get up have breakfast go to the circuit get to track about two hours before the start of the session get yourself organized and sorted for me a session doesn't start at 11 o'clock it'll start at 10 20 get your gear together make sure that's all great mm-hmm. come down to the garage hang around the garage get the preamble get what's going on get the five drivers will come into the garage at about quarter to 11 get them getting ready suited and booted and getting in the car then they'll go out you might stay in the garage for half an hour come back into a few more bits and pieces but then after that first half hour you head out somewhere on circuit to get your action as well uh, you do your action great okay session finishes cool i think i'm done well actually i'm not done because we've got pit lane walk we've got 150 guests from the team that are going to then descend onto the front of the garage and not all of them but you know quite a lot of them i think the busiest one i've had i've probably did about 70 guest shots of them stood in front of the car mm-hmm. then maybe if you're lucky grab a sandwich munch on that when you walk down to the press room mm-hmm. go down to the press room download your cards probably without sitting down mm-hmm. get your cards back in your camera it's fp2 again it starts 40 minutes before the start of the session for a photographer you might not be going to the garage you might want to go out somewhere very far away mm-hmm. walk out there maybe probably knowing me i'd walk out because i would have missed the shuttle bus because i've been photographing guests okay. do that session come back now you've got another little pit lane walk after that session or you've got other stuff to do after that session and you do that session and then you sit down at your at your laptop with all your images in front of you. Fortunately, we we transmit back to the UK now. So there's a little editing we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are still some images that you want to put your own touch on and edit. Yeah. And then you, you edit the images you want to edit um, and then uh, send them back to the office and your day's done. And before you know it, the day the day's finished. It's gone. It's mm-hmm. continuously on your feet. It's... Um, hard work is aspects of photography that you don't want to really do all the time mm-hmm. and you know for me i want to be in the garage taking pictures of the drivers mm-hmm. on the circuit taking pictures of the car yeah i don't want to come back and take pictures of guests but it's part and parcel of the job and it has to be done yeah so it's it's, it's a long day on your feet COVID mm-hmm. makes it slightly easier you haven't got many guests there's less facets to the day and there's more time to concentrate on just trying to be artistic and creative I want to spend some of our time touching on other aspects of your work, um, not necessarily specific to the race weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I noticed your portraits on your website. I think you have a really good way with portraits. Um, totally different skill set. I mean, well, everything you've described, you're going from thing to thing to thing throughout the weekend. But um, so obviously you, you've become good at doing a few different kinds of things. 
I mean, it's obviously part of working with a team that you have to photograph the drivers and um, you're going into like a different gear mentally, right? And obviously physically with what you're doing with the camera, it's a completely different way of working. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your approach to the portraits? Does, are you working to a brief again most of the time or do you have some um, free reign to just kind of take the driver aside sometimes? How's that like with the portraits? So I think that the portraits that you'll be seeing on my site, there'll be two major differences between them. One lot will be more editorial and the other lot looks like studio stuff, which are mm-hmm. studio stuff. So the studio stuff is mainly before the start of the season. They want to get their official portraits done. Um, and that is basically trying to curate an, an interesting lighting environment, which isn't flat. It's got some body to it, but it's got to be quite practical and functional in the fact that you got to see the logos on this on the um, race suits you got to see a clear image of the driver um and there's some other stuff which are generally on location um of editorial portraits which makes you think the studio stuff you're in a studio i've got a few lighting setups up my sleeve i can do that mm-hmm. when you do the editorial stuff at track you're going okay where can we do this? Yeah. Find a location. Do I want to add a few off-camera flashes to it? Do I want to use a reflector? What's going to work here? Where is the sun going to be? Is it going to be cloudy? Is it going to be rainy? You don't really photograph indoors um, in the in the hospitality because it's just a bit dark and crap. You try and do it outside. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a massive mind shift from being out on circuit, taking the F1 cars at 200 miles an hour and then coming in knowing you've got five minutes with the driver to get mm-hmm. some portraits for an editorial feature. But I think it's just something learned over time, really. Um, mm-hmm. Thrown in the deep end is is how I feel my career has gone, continuously mm-hmm. thrown into the deep end. Somehow managed to stay afloat. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of times in at the deep end, in at the deep end. One thing I was... Uh, you know, looking at the portraits you have, some of these, uh, you don't really realize, some of these guys who are the drivers are so young. It's crazy. Like the shot of the Vettel that you've got on your portraits when he's he's a boy, really. I mean, it's insane. And um, you just think what a weight on these guys because the tens of millions of pounds and these, these young men are at the sharp end of it, you know. How are they as characters? What kind of people are they? Is there like a something similar DNA that they all have or how is that? I think the similar DNA between racing drivers is that they've all got this thirst to win. Win at anything. Anything. Mm-hmm. You play, I don't know, tiddlywinks with them or a paper aeroplane contest. They want to win. I think that's something that is in all their genetics. They always want to win at whatever they do. Um, but when it comes to other character traits, they're all very different from each other. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there's some some guys that I've got a lot of respect for. Vessel, for instance, um, he's he is generally a fantastic individual. I haven't actually met a racing driver quite like him before. Mm-hmm. Um, very grounded, um, he's come from humble um, beginnings. Mm-hmm. His mum and dad still come to the race circuits, um, but yeah, a lot of respect for for Sebastian. Um, some of the new guys as well, um, Charles Leclerc. Um, I love his temperament. I think there's something very, I mean, he's going to be a superb driver um, once he gets given a good car. Um, but also, you know, a good temperament 
being grounded, I think is so important. Other drivers aren't so much. I'm not going to mention who, who I think they are. Um, example, uh, you know, Leclerc, I took a picture a few years ago of um, his Ferrari really laden up under G-force going around one of the corners, a rear shot. Um, mm-hmm. And I get a, a Instagram message from him um, asking not to have the picture, but wanting to pay for the picture for his social media channels because he loved the shop. Mm-hmm. A lot of drivers tell someone else to go and ask me that or yeah. they'll just take it from Instagram. Yeah. But he took the time to ask and to pay for a shot, which mm-hmm. in this day and age, I believe once you put stuff on Instagram, it's kind of free reign. If you're yeah. the type of photographer that gets all bugbared and don't put it on Instagram. Yeah. It's going to happen. It's the day we, it's the age we live in. It's not, it's not correct that imagery is, is sort of stolen in that retrospect, but it's going to happen. And if you don't like it, you're in control not to let it happen by not putting it on Instagram. Yeah. For a driver to, to come up and actually make um, a, a conversation to actually purchase an image like that is very rare i think very rare yeah it's refreshing though it's very refreshing when you meet young people who are like that isn't it yeah definitely so i imagine as an outsider there's this culture of excellence in formula one i think everyone is genuinely striving to be the best they're the best at what they do and that's how they got there and they still always want to win and they always have to improve and develop all the time how has that filtered down into you and um do you feel an extra responsibility to just be doing that yourself all the time for the team, if that makes sense? Um, I mean, I think I always photographically always try and push myself. You have good days, you have bad days. If you've, mm-hmm. you know, if something's wrong at home and you haven't slept that night um, uh, at the Grand Prix, then the next day is going to be a bit of a write-off. Um, I'd say for any photographer, you got to be fresh, you got to be on it, and that's when you're going to produce your best work. Um and yeah, I'll continuously push for trying to do different imagery, trying to create something different, trying to make a photo stand out every time I pick up a camera and go and work for them. And you kind of see pictures when you're there, you see stuff, well, that might work, or that might work, or I should do that, or I should do this. And there's been quite a few, not sleepless nights, but nights filled with thoughts of what I saw on a Friday and thought, actually, if I do it this way and change that, well, that could be quite nice. And you get there on Saturday and it's cloudy and all that goes out the window. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, always always got to push, always got to strive for doing mm-hmm. the best possible job every time you pick up that camera. Because, you know, mm-hmm. you know, say a photographer is only as good as their last picture. And if you've got that in the back of your mind all your time, you're only going to be pushing yourself to to actually take the best picture you possibly can. Um, yeah. And you're right, there is a mentality of excellence in Formula One through from the drivers, the engineers, the mechanics, the marketing, the PR, the comms. Everyone that has got a longevity in Formula One are exceptionally good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so a lot of talented people in there in all walks of, of life and all walks of careers. Okay, that takes us to the gear round, sponsored by MPB. Let's dive in. I mean, you must have a lot of stuff taken around with you to do all the different things that you've described. But what kind of kit uh, comes out of your bag? What's your sort of go-to camera and lens? So at the moment, I'm um, getting onto the mirrorless front. 
I've been using the uh, EOS R5. I'm a Canon man. Um, I dabbled with Sony for a little bit, um, but I I went back to Canon because I do believe that they're the best at what they do. They went behind Sony for a bit, but now I think with the R5 and with the R3, they've just banged it out in front of Sony as, as a professional mm-hmm. photographer. Um, don't get me wrong, they're Sony are very good cameras, but I just prefer Canon. Um, <laughs> Yes, at the moment, um, I like to be diplomatic. Don't burn any bridges. No, fair um, enough. Yeah. Um, so R5 at the moment is what I use. Mm-hmm. I think it's a superb camera. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, love its pieces. Probably, I think, the best camera I've ever photographed with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and combine that with the 2870 RF F2 all the way through. Mm-hmm. For what I do in the garage, for reportage shots, brilliant. Shoot everything mm-hmm. wide open at F2. You've got great autofocus. You've got eye, um, eye focus with the R5. Mm-hmm. It makes my life so much easier. And then it also pushes you to do slightly different shots. You can compose mid-shot. You can. It's it's a brilliant bit of kit. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have two 1DX Mark IIs um, in, in my kit, which will be replaced by an R3. I've got an R3 on order. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had a play with one of them before they were actually announced but that's obviously top secret mm-hmm. <laughs> um but um yeah fantastic fantastic cameras the r3 um it's going to be a work work horse of a camera mm-hmm. um long lens wise um there's a 600 um f4 again just for what we do action stuff it's it's mm-hmm. so needed it's a lovely bit of kit it's a lovely lens um love the 24 1.4 EF. um had that for years Brilliant, mm-hmm. using one four at twenty four mil, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do I really sort of go to? Um, fifty one point four, fifty one point four, no fifty one point two. The bokeh, you know, mix it up, get that low depth of field feeling, isolate that subject, give the people looking at your photos, make sure they know what you want them to see. Mm-hmm. That's the key of I think engaging photography. So the fifty one point two. It's brilliant at sort of just isolating your subjects. I was wondering how you deploy that. If you're going out to a particular part of the track, you presumably know the lens that is going to work on that corner or that straight, or do you take a couple of things with you? Take a couple of things with you. you you'll go to a corner, you know there's probably about two or three shots you want to shoot at that corner, and you know that what lenses you want to use. But then once you get those in the bag, you get them in the bag quickly, then it's time to experiment. You never go to a corner and go, I'm just going to do something crazy here. What should I do? What should I do? Something crazy, something really experimental. And then you have a whole session and you don't actually produce any work. Mm -hmm. You go to a corner, you know you've got to do three, two, three, four shots there of every car of the field. You know what lenses you need for that. But then also have in mind, get that done, then I can experiment. And it's Mm -hmm. getting the the basics done first and quickly, then Mm -hmm. experiment. And then have a few little options in your bag to take out with you. Maybe have an idea of what you're going to do. I mean, I quite like doing my slow speed um, panning shots and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So if you know it's a corner that's generally a head-on shot with a 600 mil, you know, make sure you've got your 70 to 100 with you for pan shots and ND filter mm-hmm. to put on the end there to knock the shutter down in bright sunlight. Um, yeah. So yeah, you, you take them, take a few lenses with you. Generally, mm-hmm. I pack my bag at the beginning of the day and. You know, some lenses might never come out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I might use everything. And at the end of the day, my camera bag is an utter mess. <laughs> I'm not very good at putting lens caps back on. I'm not very good at that kind of stuff. It's just like, grab what you need, get it on the camera, shoot. Um, not like, oh, just put that lens cap back on, that lens cap. Oh, oh look, there's been a big accident over there. Well, I missed it, but at least I got yeah. my lens cap back on my 1635. Yeah. So it's, yeah. No, I think as a as a working photographer, it totally resonates. You're there to work, and you just need yeah. to get on with it. Sometimes the kit will be okay. Um, yeah. yeah, I I noticed on your feed that you mentioned the ND filter um, for the slowing down the shutter speed. That seems to be quite essential. So many of these races are in really nice sunny places. Really hard to get the shutter speed slow uh, when it's so bright. So, is there a particular ND filter that you go to, or does that make a difference to you? Um, so probably about an ND6 kind of find I can get things down to about a 15th to a 10th to an eighth of a second. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some great stuff being done by, um, uh, color vision. I think they pronounce color vision in the States, company in the States, these little dropping, um, filters that, uh, work with mirrorless bodies. So it's just a little okay. bit of glass and you just drop it in, in front of the sensor and you can put right. the lens on top of it. For me, amazing. It cuts down on what you have to carry. Mm-hmm. And two, you can use the ND filter with any lens. You know, mm-hmm. you can use it on a 14 mil and change it to a 600 mil. Whereas before, you know, try and get an ND filter for a 14 mil, no chance. Um, yeah. Really, really good kit, actually. So I'm enjoying enjoying using using those. And, mm-hmm. and just to touch on the technique, I was I did want to ask without going too photo nerdy, but um, with the panning, I mean, it's it's obviously one of the sort of go-to techniques for motorsport racing is to do panning. I've, I've my own experience with this is just, I've been to knock Hill a few times. I'm, I'm not a motorsport photographer at all, but you, you kind of get the, the feel for it. Um, or you feel like, you know what you should be doing anyway. Um, what with the panning, it seems to be a little different. The shutter speed might depend on how close you are to the thing, how fast the thing is going, what folk, what your focal length is. Do you, do you obviously with the experience you have, you must have a really good feel for where you're going to get a starter point to. But is it a challenge to you to drag the shutter speed as long as you can, or do you are you just happy to get it in a, a reliable place that you know will work? I think it goes back to pushing your boundaries. Um, always, you know, I'd maybe at a corner I'd start off as uh, a sixtieth or a fiftieth. Um, and then gradually work down and down and down and down and down until your hit rate becomes um, so inconsistent that it's not worthwhile doing. Mm-hmm. I always believe with the shots that you take as a photographer, there's no point putting your shutter speed at a fifth of a second, spending half an hour there and getting one picture. Mm-hmm. Because when the client says to you, I love that picture, I want you to do that for me. And you go, mm-hmm. yeah, well, I can't because I just want you to put it on the fifth and it just happened. Mm-hmm. you're not a photographer you're not a professional photographer professional mm-hmm. photographers should be able to recreate their photography time and time and time again mm-hmm. i think that's where a lot of people new to this game go wrong oh it's amazing look at this great shot yeah did you get the ferrari like that no did you get the mm-hmm. mclaren no mm-hmm. did you get any other cars no well then that's a lovely picture but it's 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 pointless it's useless yeah um when it comes yeah so just get there push your push your boundaries, push your shutter speed to as long as you think you can do the shot. Um, and that generally gives you that great sensation of speed. Mm-hmm. But you've got to have that consistency to be able to reproduce that image. It's so important, I find. Yeah. 
That's a great point. Okay, thanks to our sponsor, MPB, for sponsoring the show. MPB buys, sells, and trades thousands of items each week, and everything comes with a six-month warranty. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes uh, where you can get a quote for selling your unused kit to MPB, and I'll make a link to all the gear Glenn mentioned. And uh, you could pick up, it would be a good way to go if you're going to start with one of those big, long lenses. I mean, you get a good deal, I'm sure. So thanks again to MPB for sponsoring the show. Uh, that takes us to around Glenn called Double Exposure. I'm going to ask you about one picture of yours that I really like, and I'm going to throw it back to you to tell me about one memorable moment or image from your career that's just been super memorable for you. So I've got two here, and um, yeah, I'll go with this portrait of Jensen Button. I just really like this portrait. He seems it's beautifully shot, beautifully lit. He seems very connected and very present in the portrait, which is something I always look for. Um, I think it's so valuable uh, in a portrait. He's definitely right with you in that moment. Um, Can you tell us about the story behind that one? I can't remember the story of of why I took it. It it was in Bahrain. I remember that much. Um, If you notice, around his eyes are a little bit red and there's an indentation on his forehead. He'd Mm -hmm. literally just gotten out of the car after a practice session. So not the best time to try and get a shot done. But we have, you know, if it's an editorial piece, then the journalist would have made a time and all the rest of it. And they wanted to get a nice portrait of him. And it was just one simple light set up with an off-camera flash, um, balancing it with the daylight as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's one of my favourite portraits that I've taken. Again, that focus and connection was there. And, again, mm-hmm. it was one of those moments where you had probably had about two minutes with him, if that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so indicative of F1. Everything happens so quickly, mm-hmm. even the photography and getting results. But, but no, that's that's the actual story behind it. I can't remember, but yeah, the location it was quick. I got someone in there beforehand to stand in to make sure mm-hmm. where I put the lights, what I want, and he just did this great stare dead down the camera and mm-hmm. it worked well. Yeah, it's great. Do you find the drivers are good subjects because they they seem like they must be super focused, uh, competitive guys, as you've said. Um, they make for good photographic subjects? They do when they're in their working environment. Mm-hmm. When you pull them out of the working environment, stick them in front of the lens, some are a lot better than others. Jensen was actually always very good at posing. Um, some drivers aren't. They're racing drivers. They're not models. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times the marketing and commercial department forget this. Mm-hmm. They are racing drivers, not models. And they're, yeah, the most focused stuff you get when they're in that work environment, when they're in that garage, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So uh, I just wonder if there's a, a, it must be, I'm sure you come out with thousands of pictures every weekend, but if there's a picture or a moment from your career or or just an anecdote that's got a very special um, or meaningful memory attached to it that you could talk about. Hmm. It happened quite, well, to tell you the truth, I'm extremely spoiled. I've had, many fantastic photographic moments in this mm-hmm. game there's you know it happens quite quite often you get something that you're like yeah i, I love that shot i'm really I'm really pleased with myself other people might not mm-hmm. think that's that's it's that great it's up to them yeah um, but i think for me one of one of the big high moments in in formula one was last year when um Checo, uh won in bahrain mm-hmm. um and I think it was part because maybe it was COVID and I spent a lot of time with the team. But I remember hanging out off the um, the pit wall, one of the gaps, 
when he passes the team and the team are all hanging off the fence celebrating. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm taking pictures and I'm I'm like roaring at the same time in celebration. It was just a, a fantastic moment. And it wasn't that shot that did it for me. The shot that did it for me, that was a moment of being part of the team, which was very, you know, um, it's quite emotional really. But then the shot on the off the back of that was a shot that I took of um, Checo in his driver's room. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew Checo for a couple of years. I knew his management team as well. Um, figured out he was in his room. And I just sort of, without any other people from the team around me, I gave you know, a little knock on the door and his manager, Luis, opened it. And I said to him, can, can I come in? Just take some pictures. Can I come in? He's like, yeah, 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 come in. So I sort of put myself in. I had my R5. I put it on silent. Um, I think I had a 1635 on. And I just quietly put myself in the corner of the room. And there was Checo, who was sitting on his on his um, um, massage bed that all drivers have in their driver's room. He was on the phone, video timing, I think, with family. Um, his overalls were around his waist. He had his Nomex top on. The trophy was on one side. That's the Mexican mm-hmm. flag. His boots were kicked off as well. Very just natural moment and just got this amazing interaction that he had with the phone going on. He'd drawn his first Formula One race. It was a fantastic moment. And I was there and I was part of this moment that I was in the room, his trainer, his manager, and that was it. No no team people, no nothing. I thought, this is, this is, yeah, great. And I was sitting there taking pictures, taking pictures. Fantastic. Did a couple of setup shots with him afterwards as well with the trophy. But in my eyes, nowhere near as good as this natural shot. Mm-hmm. Then came a, another knock on the door. Oh, and it was just as when I was walking out. And I was leaving the room because Checo had finished um, his telephone conversation and wanted to get dressed into just shorts and T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't think he was wearing anything underneath his Nomex. So I was like, yeah, okay, time to go. <laughs> so I literally, the door knocked and I opened it. And um, Charles Leclerc was standing there and asked me permission to go in and see Checo because he mm-hmm. wanted to apologise from a previous instance in, in the race. And I was like, well, you're asking me, I'm just a team photographer. Um, secondly, probably not the best time. Don't <laughs> <close> on. <laughs> so I was there sort of, making um, Charles Leclerc wait outside of um, Checo's room um, until he was given Checo enough time to actually get dressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was this lovely um, conversation between the two of them um, on the doorstep of the uh, uh, of his little driver's room. Um, and again, I think that's one of my pictures on my Instagram as well. Um, beaming great big face on, uh, beaming great big smile on Checo's face and I think um, Charles was just apologising from a little altercation at the start of the race. Again, you know, credit to Charles, his super stand-up guy. Um, Checo didn't care, he'd won the race. Um, yeah. yeah. Just some lovely moments, natural moments, more so than a car on track. It's getting these, these lifestyle, these actual moments that actually mean something to people. Mm-hmm. That's what I felt I achieved then. Yeah, great. I, I'm looking at the shot. It's great. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Okay, that brings us to motor drive, which is my quick fire round. So um, if you're ready for this, I've got eight quick fire questions. Okay. okay. Uh, wide angle or telephoto? Um, uh, telephoto. Okay. Tea or coffee? Coffee. What's your go-to emoji? 
Thumbs up. Okay, I think I know where you're going to go with this one, but we have to ask, expensive lens cloth or just the corner of your shirt? <laughs> corner of your shirt. <laughs> I thought so. Uh, all the greats say corner of the shirt, so we're in good company. Uh, okay, what was the last great uh, album, movie, series, or book that you experienced? Oh, Christ, my memory for such things is just rubbish. <laughs> um I, I watched, uh, I've seen it before, but I watched The Talented Mr. Ripley two nights ago. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay, good answer. Um, okay, what's a weird thing I can find in your camera bag? Imodium. <laughs> okay. And, okay, I wanted to ask you, is there a, maybe, maybe I didn't know about your dad here, but was there, was like a really great motorsport photographer of all time or working at the moment that we should all kind of look up um good question um fortunately my father's not on any social platforms difficult to, to look him up he has done some amazing iconic images of the likes of senna and people like that in the past but currently um it'd be a bit cringeworthy but a guy i do respect massively for his photographic skills is a getty photographer called clive mason okay. um, he's a kind of guy you go to a corner with and he shoots stuff that you haven't even seen there's one thing shooting something that you've both seen but you haven't quite managed to do it and he has it's another thing going to a corner with a photographer and he shoots something that you haven't even seen so yeah mm-hmm. uh, a lot of respect for clive mason very good photographer i'm following clive actually already anyway and mm-hmm. i'll put a link for clive mason in the show notes final question when do you feel at peace with the universe um it's an interesting question i think now it's being at home um with my little boy um on my lap just giving me cuddles and stuff definitely (laughs) good answer good um thanks so much glenn it's so interesting to me to have this insight and i I didn't want to get bogged down and talking about i I never really do talking about shutter speeds and things like that Mm -hmm. because people can find that information out anyway but having this insider uh, look into behind the scenes of formula one it's so interesting from the photography point of view obviously makes it doubly interesting for me big fan of your work so grateful for your time and uh, i'm going to wish you all the best thanks a lot no thank you very much Graham. thanks for listening follow glenn on instagram links to everything we spoke about are in the show notes and don't forget to get your tickets for the next viewfinders live event and if you like this episode then check out my conversations with amazing sports photographer Tim Clayton and photojournalist Jim Richardson. Have a great week, take care, and I will see you soon.